the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greeny. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. And welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So this week we have Ed Fulis on. So Ed is the CTO at the Data Shed. The Data Shed are a Leeds-based business that was established in 2014 by Ed and his lovely wife and CEO Anna Sutton. They provide data products and consultancy services. The Data Shed has grown at an impressive rate. They offer a range of skills tailored to your needs by getting to know your business. From a single consultation to a full-blown bespoke data system, designing, creating, and maintaining for any of your data challenges, these guys are the experts. Hello, Ed. Morning. (laughs) Morning, Ed. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, good. Thank you. Oh, good. Enjoying the sunshine. We've, uh, I don't think lockdown would have been, um, um, been, been able to get through it without all this lovely sunshine that we've had. <laughs> a whole different world, yeah. Oh, no. Tell me about it. Um, cool. So it's great to have you on here. Um, I know we've been pestering you for some time, so thanks for uh, making the time for us. Persisting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> always like to kick these things off with um, finding out a bit more about you, um, telling the listeners um, where everything started, um, how you got into tech and where your journey started and, and kind of, I guess, how you got to where you are today, which is a, a very successful Business owner, in my eyes. <laughs> Very kind, thank you. Um, it depends how far you want to go back, um, because I think whenever I recount my sort of my my youth and history and journey into this, I sound like some sort of mild psychopath because yeah. I, I seem I seem to jump around a lot. Um, I think I think the, sh- the shortish version is, um, as a kid, I was pretty bright. I was good good at maths, um, and. <clears throat> When I was younger, I was really, really focused on just getting good at learning stuff. Um, and you're a tech but, geek. More, more maths geek. Um, I was a gamer, but I wasn't really into building stuff. Um, mm. I helped sort of, you know, in various projects tech-wise, but I never really sort of led them. Um, <clears throat> then I got to about 16, and I thought, I really can't be asked for this academia anymore. It's really sort of pesting, you know, it's really just it doesn't seem to suit me. So I spent, I thought, I said to my dad, um, Dad, um, I'm done with this. I'm going to be a chef. Um, yeah. I was. Um, and I worked as a chef from the age of 14, sort of part time, all the way through to uh, 20, 21, 22, all the way through sort of any sort of stuff I was doing. Um, yeah. And I realized that um, uh, it's one of my favorite jobs ever. You know, you're busy, it's all process, you really focus on, it's very tangible, the outputs of what you do. And you can always see discernible improvement as you as you go. Yeah. You know, it's not one of these high pressurized environment as well, isn't it? And fast paced. Yeah, I learned some awesome swear words. <laughs> um, <laughs> ones that I don't think I'll ever be able to lose in front of anyone. Um, and then after that, I, <clears throat> I realised that you know, chefing. My dad sort of sat me down one day and said, "Look, you know, um, 
you're competing with, with people out there whose hands are probably cleverer than yours. You know, they might be better and more coordinated and better tasting. So actually you need to start focusing on the stuff you can compete at properly as opposed to the stuff that you really enjoy doing. Yeah. Which was, was sensible. And I was also earning nine grand a year at the time. So it wasn't particularly um, a job for life at that, at that stage. Um, so I didn't really know what to do. So at that point, I basically walked out of sixth form to go and be a chef. Um, so we sort of sat down and said, right, well, maybe we'll change schools for a bit. So we changed schools for two years at A-level. Still couldn't be bothered learning stuff. I was very lacklustre, I think. Um, most people's lasting memory of me at school will be dragging to the pub at lunchtime. Tuesday <laughs> lunchtime, Wednesday lunchtime. It, was, it, <clears throat> it went downhill from there. Um, so after that, I got to the point where I thought, you know, I'm not going to university. I'm just really... This doesn't seem to suit me. So <clears throat> I went to work in Germany for a couple of years, um, or Gappy had start off with, um, basically running campsites over there, um, learned the language, really enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> and then Dad sat me down and said, again, and said, yeah, sort your life out, will you? You're really good at maths. Why don't you go study economics at uni? I thought, that's a great idea, that. Went to university, didn't enjoy it. Yeah. But most time running pubs. Um and then after that, I just came out of it and went, well, that was a waste of five years. I wonder what I'm going to do now. So I found myself in just working in a call centre. Um, and I was trying to sort of look at how they were predicting. You know, people were really struggling with uh, how many people do we need in today to serve them out of calls? I said, well, it's just maths, isn't it? It's LNC. You just you predict call volumes based upon history. And I'd started doing that for them. <clears throat> and then started to realise, actually, I should probably do something with the stuff I can do well. Um so yeah, after that, I just spent a number of different jobs in different industries, um, you know, going from financial services to vehicle leasing to healthcare. I just bounced around a bit, sort of learning how to make data do stuff. Um, and then I got really frustrated by the fact that IT never seemed to be able to give me what I needed. So I started building it myself. Um, and then things just grew from there. Um, <clears throat> I've had really two sort of real sort of pivotal moments in my career um, and are both are very similar circumstances. Once at a company called Lex Vehicle Leasing over in Manchester um, and one at Provident Financial where I found myself in a situation where there were two other um, members of my team that were sort of similar aged, similar way of viewing things uh, and similarly motivated just to do some really amazing things. Um, so in both of those environments, um, my skills sort of leapt forward quite significantly because we didn't just work you know, nine till five, we'd actually find ourselves really enjoying working till midnight or to 2am to fix the problem we knew would drive some huge value for the business. Um, and then when I was over at Provenant, I met Anna and uh, yeah. she kicked me into shape, you might say. Um, <laughs> got really heavy boots sometimes. Um, <clears throat> and yes, from that point onwards, Anna, Anna went on to do other things and I was sort of running the BI team at Jet2, I think at the time. And she came to me and was saying, um, you know, for some reason, my IT team can't make this and that meet, so I can't work out how to do this campaign. I said, well, it's bloody easy to do this. And we thought, hang on a second, we should do this professionally because with yeah. her with her marketing powers and my geekness combined, we are <laughs> able to do some cool stuff. And we started that. And then, what, about, within about, 12, 18 months we were employing people and it's gone from there really. Cool, so it was just you two to start with for the what, first year, year and a half 
yeah, it was just me for lots of that because she was selfishly having children and raising our... our... <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it was... Well, it was... she didn't give any, given anything to switch roles with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she... Uh, I've, I've heard that sentiment expressed at great volume. Um, <laughs> but no, it, and see, so yeah, for the, the first sort of... Basically, I was doing contracting to start off with, but trying to manage multiple different clients and always keep enough cash available with the objective of saying, well, if I get 30 grand at this piece of work, that's someone's wages for the first six months, so we can get them in. We can get them earning some cash, and basically by six months' time, they need to be generating some more themselves. And we just kept, you know, that's that's how it was in my mind to start off with. And yeah, a chunk of cash, that's a person's salary. A chunk of cash, a person's salary. And mm. first couple of years, we, we didn't earn anything, really. Yeah, um, tough, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, then fourteen or something now. So that so that was two thousand and fourteen. Around that, yeah, yeah. Around then, um, and so where where um, let's talk a little bit about where you are, um, where you've got to then, and where you are today, and, and kind of what what size of the business is. I mean, I've had a look around the, I've been to your offices, and, and they're amazing. The setup that you've got there, and the the culture, the environment, the people. Um, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Um, well, I think one of the proudest things I'd say about where we are now is we've always been guided quite strongly by what we believe we want to be building, but also having really good evidence of the terrible businesses we've worked for before. Um, you know, every time you work somewhere, you think, oh, my, that is just terrible. Mm. You know, we should you know, never do that. So um, some things that we really try and promote are, you know, learning development is, is you know, it's what we are we've got people who get better and better who make themselves more capable who can deliver more things and more clients so i remember at, at times uh, in other places we've been having to beg for 200 pounds for a train ticket to go to a conference just it just really frustrated me and i probably still didn't express it in that way um but and so as a result you know the, the team get you know a large proportion of their time to do learning development every year you know it, it can be up to you know one day in five depending on how they manage the rest of the time which oh, is wow. fair, fair. um you know we want to we want people to be we really don't like one-dimensional people and i don't mean don't like but feel quite sorry for them you know so um as an organization someone coming in and saying i'm a java dev well that's nice what else do you do mm. you know um, you don't get a plumber who rocks up with one hammer or one spanner, and if you can't use that spanner, you can't fix the leak. You know, it's, it's, we need to make sure that we've got broad enough skills that we can tackle any problem while making sure we still have experts in other areas. And that's what I've learned, you know, from the times of those two businesses where was, there was three of us together, each with complementary skills, but all knew a little bit of the other one's roles, so that you know, we make sure that that, that is possible. Um, in terms of you know where we are sort of financially, you know it's a, it's a multi-million pound business now, which you know, <laughs> sounds great. Amazing. It's I don't know what it means anymore. It's just another zero, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's really cool. We've got loads of shedders now, so there's forty plus of us. We're recruiting for more, hopefully growing fairly soon. Um, and it's it's just it's it's at a point now where I think it's it's a nice place to work. You know, we know that we've got people who care about us. Um, you know, even f you know, for me, if I'm feeling a bit a bit rough at times, I'll have members of the team sort of poking me and saying, "Come on, have a chat. Come on, you all right?" So it's not just a matter of us hugging everyone else under the door. It's everyone yeah. looks after each other. Mm. That's really lovely, isn't it? It's really nice. Um, so 
What um what challenges um did you face? I mean, it's I, I, I've um, I've been in your shoes um, and. Um, I'll be up and honest for the first few years for, for us within transition partners, probably two, three years, we got a lot wrong um, and we learned from that. And I wouldn't say that we get it all right now, but um, we're in a much better place now. Um, Definitely more than when we started. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we particularly got a lot wrong when it came to hiring and culture and um, what, what, what about within data shed, like for the first kind of, two or three years that you could um I guess other our listeners and viewers could learn from and yeah yeah I, th- I th- well I think the first yeah we, we, we've <laughs> we've made more mistakes we, we, you know I, I we, we totted some of the mistakes up a while back that we made and you're talking millions of pounds it's cost us you know it's not not trivial things um mm. and particularly at times we don't have a million pounds to spend it's quite can be quite expensive um so I think one of the culture to start off with lots of it was driven by me and I suppose it depends in terms of the mentality that, that Anna and I have is slightly different in that I'm a, I want to fix problems I'm a maker I, I, I think I see a thing I want to resolve that thing or make it better but a maker mentality isn't great for building a team because what you do is you drive people to do a thing um, so I don't know say four or five years ago there was so till there's 12 of us and basically those 12 were typically directed by me to do a thing so I just had you know 12 pairs of hands as opposed to having 12 autonomous people who could operate independently and, and they're not not to take that way they were capable of doing that this weren't mm. necessarily allowed to do that and that doesn't that doesn't allow you to really grow in any meaningful way because that doesn't scale at all um, whereas Anna came in and, and wanted to focus on making people accountable and responsible for the things that they're doing um, so the, the, the sort of maker and multiplier type approach sort of works quite nicely. Um, in terms of some mistakes, I mean, we've made some clangers when it comes to recruitment. You know, <laughs> um, proper, I'm not going to name any names, obviously. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think the real challenge that we've, we've, when you start to trace back the really real mistakes we've made, is because we've recruited on tech talent alone. Mm. Um, now when it comes to our hiring process, the biggest bit is, you know, I know on the wall it says, you know, number one rule, be excellent to each other, but it's don't be a dick, basically. Excuse my French. And I think we've, we've sort of often forgot that that's the number one rule. So now when we go through the vetting and the, and the actual the, the interview process, you have to demonstrate that you're going to join a team, a team that wants to grow and is capable of growing. And if you can write code, that's real. But actually the most important bit is you, you, will, you will fit and not fit in a cultural fitty sort of sense. You'll, you'll add, you'll contribute towards it. Um, so now I've heard cultural fit in the past typically means uh, you're one of the boys who comes to the pub. And that's, that's often what it means. Whereas from our perspective, it's now you will, are, are you empathetic enough to be able to work within a team to help them fix their own, the, the problems that are there? And if, you know, if you like Dungeons and Dragons or car racing, whichever it may be, you will fit. Just it doesn't need to be horrible terrible person who wants to just write java or any other language insert here and that's hard in tech isn't it particularly when you've got like deliverables to achieve for clients and like you say when you're you're under pressure to bring on new hires and <clears throat> like you've got big projects that you need to hire the right tech people for it's quite often isn't it that you rush into it and you hire the wrong people based yeah. on tech. Uh, that's that's one of the biggest the biggest sort of, um 
decision-making processes now is are we do, we do we have enough time to make the decision properly do we have enough time to bring that person in in a way that we will make sure that the right person for us and if we don't let's get a contract in that's because a good way of looking at it actually yeah. Re yeah. really if if all you've got is a set of outcomes you try and deliver that's what the contract market's for we don't yeah. have any skills right now or we don't have capacity for this let's bring someone in with those skills and those capabilities to allow us to deliver this objective and if it's if it's wider than that we need to take the time over it properly yeah that's brilliant yeah that's a great way of looking at it and it's not just the consultancy service like as we mentioned you're working with some huge brands all across the uk um but you've got products as well so can you tell us a bit more about the product yeah it's it's, it's, just, it's trying to take the stuff that anna and i did back in the day and make it something that everyone can have um i think there's, there's lots of talk right now about being data driven um, yeah on, sure that's necessarily the right way for it i think it's better informed by the data allowing the people with the domain expertise to make those decisions but um the data refinery itself is, is just a place you can throw your customer data so you can understand better the customers that you as an organization serve um for the majority of the clients that use it it'll be free because we feel strongly that smes need to have those capabilities to land keep up with the you know the larger organizations um, you know, at the end of the day, being able to build a propensity model to say these people are likely to respond to a marketing campaign, it sh with the technology we have nowadays, it shouldn't be beyond every organisation to be able to do that. Um, just most don't realise it's possible. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, we're trying to, our best to make sure that that's available to you know, smaller organisations, but also it's built on big data tech so it can handle billions and trillions of records if it needs to. Fantastic. Do you have any plans to expand out of the UK into Europe or international? I'd love to go back to Germany. I love that place, but I think right now let's just smash the UK for now. We'll, once we've taken over completely, then we'll, we'll look at the uh, expansion. <laughs> we love working in Germany. It's brilliant. We do quite a bit in Berlin and we're looking to expand and yeah, just a bit. Great. Yeah. Trips over there as well. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> my favourite place in the whole world. We were actually supposed to go there fairly soon. But uh, obviously this uh, little pandemic has spoiled my little hopes. So um, we touched a little bit on, um, I guess, your leadership of teams, recruitment, how you um, ensure that you're hiring the right people to fit into, um, I guess, what, what you want to deliver and um, values that you're looking for. How... Um, how do you think your team would describe your leadership skills now and, and tell us more about your leadership skills? It's like one of those questions where someone says, what would your friends say your worst boss? <laughs> um, I always ask that question at interview. What would your <laughs> friends and family say about you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll answer that one either, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it's my brothers. My brothers hate me. Um, <laughs> It's a really difficult question, that, because I say my, my, my style has changed significantly over the last five or six years. So the, there are some people that, that are at the shed right now who have been with us for that whole journey and would probably describe me as um, uh, an enthusiastic ball of energy who wants to build stuff. Um, and others that haven't been here that long that probably see me more distant, into, but more... You know, there, was, there were some people who don't think I can write code and, and then I, I, they all object to my code anyway because I don't ever do it to their quality. <laughs> um, I like to think 
that I'm getting better in my old age, allowing people to get on with the things that they excel at. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm still, I'm still a maker. I still want to be involved in every little project to make sure that I'm there. I think one bit I missed out, sorry, when I was doing the history thing, I, I did my officer selection test in the British Army when I was sort of trying to work out what I want to do in my life. Oh, wow. So I wanted a training for that and that sort of thing. And, and, and one of the most important things I learned there was just, you know, you don't ask anyone to do something you won't do yourself. And uh, the only way to really gain respect from people in a very sort of practical and industry is you've got to be there doing it. You know, if someone's up at four in the morning fixing stuff, you're up there at four in the morning to fix the stuff. You know, you've got to make sure that they can see that, you know, this, this, this bloke, you know, at the top of the tree apparently isn't just shouting stuff down saying, fix it, fix it, fix it. He's also there bringing you a beer and you need it and making sure that he's providing input to that problem. So I, I like to think that, you know, I'm, I lead by example where possible and try to explain why I don't when I don't. Brilliant. Cool. So you've mentioned some of the things that kind of you didn't do quite so right when starting the data shed, but I don't know whether there's a, an, a story or an example of further back in your career where you were really kind of in the depths of it and, and it, and it was a bit of a disaster, but you had your biggest learning along the way from it. Have you got any examples of any real sort of war stories for us? Well, put your feet up and get yourself a cup of tea. I've got several. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, a while back at the shed, we had a couple of things going slightly wrong. And I think lots of people were f- afraid of failure. So I did a bit of a talk in front of everyone to explain how failure is absolutely the thing we need to be going for. It just needs to be well mm. controlled. Um, and to make it very clear, I told them the story about when I was at a, an organisation back in the day. I was working as a marketing analyst. Um, and me being at that point, you know, I'm cleverer than you all. I'll sort this stuff out. Um, I built a new way of making campaigns run. So we were sending out a campaign to, I think it was a quarter of a million people, direct mail as well. So it wasn't any of this email stuff that's nice and cheap and you can undo quite quickly. Mm. Um, and I built this new way of generating the campaign so it's much more efficient. Um, and I sort of showed everyone here and said, look, this is, this is better than your stuff and never got around to testing it properly. And I was rushing it. I was rushing, rushing, rushing to get it done because I thought it was cool. It should, I just want to move on to the next exciting thing. And we sent a couple of campaigns and it was all fine until the Royal Mail started returning the mail on pallets. And usually you get, you know, a few sort of handful of not deliverable things. Um, when you get pallets of returned mail at a pound a time being sent back, you know, you've got a problem. Um, and it turns out that I'd managed to, as part of my new automated process, forget to put the house number on all the addresses. So there was a significant cost there that uh, went out the door and came back. Um, and I remember um, getting the bollocking of my life from the director at the time. Um, who used some exciting new new words that even the chef didn't know. Um, <laughs> and at that point, I realised very clearly that, you know, I know I'd, I'd always had a bit of an issue with my eye for detail because I've never been bothered. It never really, it's one of those, if I, if I didn't know it was needed, I wouldn't do anything to actually improve it. Yeah. So that was the time where my eye for detail went from a bit fuzzy to laser focused. So, you know, there aren't many learning experiences where you can actually, the, the mail coming back is higher than you. So you have to make sure that, you know, you don't do it again. Otherwise, you don't have a job ever. That was fun. Yeah. God, yeah, that sounds like a stressful one. 
would not have liked in your shoes then. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. If you were to go back to day one, so mm-hmm. your first day within, well, I guess when you moved into your sort of date around this time, roles, what is the one bit of advice that you'd have given yourself? It's different now. So that's, that's a really interesting question because if if I were me with today's technology, mm. I'd probably be saying, you know, if you learn anything else, just learn SQL and Python. I know people have opinions about all these things, but if you learn nothing else, learn SQL and Python because that will make you capable of doing pretty much anything. Mm. Back in those days, well, they didn't really exist very much. So it wasn't as if you could just say, I think in terms of approach, it's really difficult to tell this to most of the more junior members, slow down, just take your time to learn this properly. And I don't mean, you know, just by doing a course doesn't mean you can do a thing. Mm. Just, you know, I know people want to run at a thousand miles an hour and the industry tells us we can do, but actually taking the time to learn a skill properly and be able to demonstrate that to a degree of expertise that is more than just a trivial sort of passing of, of knowledge that is critical the number of times i was caught short by saying yeah i can do that and then i realized i'd read half the book not the full book and then suddenly had to you know well, I couldn't get yourself out of it yeah. but it's interesting like you say you've got to learn you've got to make little mistakes to be able to learn how to rectify those mistakes and that's yeah. why i really like what you were saying earlier about talking to the team like we do need to make mistakes but just manage and control their mistakes is so important isn't it yeah. Well, without making mistakes, you know, you, you you don't learn what you're what you're you don't really learn what your true capabilities are. I know people think that you know with tech nowadays, you know, most of the tech we do is on rails. You know, we've got processes that automate the code and stop it going to areas where it shouldn't go. Mm. But back in the day, we developed on live. You know, we, we sat there on production systems at two in the morning making releases, and if it blew up, you had to understand how to unwind that position. So you had to have rollback in mind. You had to understand how to rectify and patch data. But those lessons taught us to be really diligent about how we do that. So I know mm-hmm. Tony, our chief data scientist, will sit there and still, still quite happily tell you that we should be developing on live. Um, it doesn't really mean that, I don't think. Um, but that's because he and I learned to do that. So you learn to think incredibly quickly and with absolute clarity. Yeah. Whereas... Um, and you have to feel the pain of doing it incorrectly. Whereas lots of the team now, the mistakes they make are really trivial ones that are caught earlier on. So they actually feel the pain. They don't feel that sinking, sicky feeling you get oh when you see the male sort of trotting back in on truck. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's not, you know, there are so many different mistakes like that that, that that I've made in my past. And each one, when I think back you know, 10, 15 years ago, still make me feel a little bit sick. So those are the ones you need to hold tight to and never forget because they're the ones that are going to make you better um, and proceed with a degree of caution that sometimes you might not. Yeah, they're the ones that shape you and um, and grow you into a, yeah, um, into, I guess, what you are, what mm. you are now. Um, so obviously we're all experiencing strange, weird, um, difficult times um, at the moment. I think we're on like week... 10 or 11 of, of lockdown um, we've had some we've all had some difficult um, challenges to manage 
um, and overcome. How, um, at the data shed, how are you motivating your teams, your people? How are you uniting them? How are you continuing to, um, I guess, continuing to have that, you know, the culture that you've spent so long building up and um, that you've created? Um, <clears throat> I was chatting to a very clever man who was also a CTO last night and his way of describing it, I think, fits ours a little bit. Um, we've got a battery of culture and we've been running that battery down over the last few weeks, basically after we left the office and we need to find a way of recharging it. You know, it's, it's the culture of an office, the culture of an, an organisation, most of them are built on people being part of a thing and that being part of a thing is being able to make someone else a coughing. It's been able to see someone's not too happy right now. So you're taking for a walk on the block and just have a chat to them. Um, you might walk through the floor walk and start to feel how things are progressing and make little tweaks to it. Right now, we, we're sort of, we are, we're spending time trying to make sure we, we maintain a similar culture. But it's very difficult to maintain the same culture. I mean, to a certain extent, the culture itself of caring and people looking after each other happens without me or Anna it just it just works you know people are picking up with one another and making sure that others are okay you know we've got mental health first aiders in the in, in the team so the you know the, the support available to people as and when they, when they require it but I, I think fundamentally um the culture itself will change as a result of this um because cultures are always changing the mix of people and different pressures are applied to it yeah but I, I you know, we're doing our best to ensure that we, we keep the message of what we're trying to do in mind. So every week we have a, you know, a, a Wednesday afternoon, we have the Shed Diaspora, which is um, our, our weekly catch-up where basically one of the senior team presents to everyone, explain precisely what's going on in each area where people can ask questions. Um, we're sharing all that and live streaming it to the whole team. Mm-hmm. It's then recorded and made sure it's available so people who didn't manage to make it can see it. So there's actually a some sort of horrible video diary of our lockdown um, and it's it's um, at times filled with gifts and sorrow and at other times it's filled, filled with celebration um, which is which is nice um, which really I think what we're trying to do is just just try and make sure we're not pest people too much because the default position if I if I were floor walking right now I could walk around you know 40 shedders and come back with a sense of how each team's doing mm-hmm. over the course of without minutes. it being yeah invasive yeah yeah without suddenly dying someone saying are you okay and it's, <laughs> you know it's, that sort of thing just doesn't work um so yeah we're, we're trying to explore different ways of making that work we, we want to you know but I, I think the real thing we're trying to do at the moment is just set the expectation that this is it for now mm. you know we're not we're not trying to necessarily plan for an immediate return we're not trying to not try to dive back into where we were to avoid losing what we've got what we're trying to do is make sure that we can we can function in a way that adheres to our values now in this current environment and make sure that people are looked after as best we can. Cool. Fantastic. Sounds like you're doing a good job of it. It's well, not Anna. Anna's working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so um you're obviously obviously a very passionate um passionate leader. Um, obviously you're passionate about data, passionate about what you do. Um, what, what else are you passionate about? What, um, what drives you? What makes you tick? Um, 
before lockdown, I'd say my children. I want to make sure that they get the education they need. I want to, but obviously, you know, spending a lot of time with them recently, less, less so nowadays. Um, <laughs> I'm out in camper van, aren't you, to get away from them? <laughs> My van. <laughs> yeah, for those of you listening, Ed's actually sat in his um, camper van this morning recording the episode. Got snacks in here and everything. Snacks. <laughs> um, Ooh. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I, I just, I just like doing stuff that keeps me in. Back in the day when I was doing A levels and and and, um, and my degree, I realised that unless I had a a real interest in objectives that I wanted to get to, I just studying was pointless. You know, it just didn't work for me. So I just, I spend my time thinking and planning and building stuff. The boys want us to build computer games now. So we're learning how to do that, which is really interesting and equally frustrating. You know, I used to think I was quite good at tech. And then someone asked me to build a, um, a Pokemon game. It turns out I can't do that for Toffee. Um, I personally... You know, the reason we have this van is because, you know, Anna and I like to travel and like to not be here. Um, so, you know, we want to get out and see what we can. And we like, you know, we went to the Highlands of Scotland in whenever it was last year or this year. It's it just in a different life right now, it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to do more of that at the same time as running our business. So it just it sort of shapes how we want to run the business. If we have that flexibility, others should too. That's amazing. Mm. So, yeah, so you were I, meant to be going to Europe for six weeks, right? Doing a doing a trip. Where where were you intending to go? Everywhere. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that, that's you know, Anna and I. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that neither of us is necessarily the most detailed long term planner. Mm. Um, Anna likes to think she she's you know she she, <laughs> she does she does good planning when she sets her mind to it. But I think the plan was basically to turn up and say, hey, Europe, we're here. Where can we go now? Um, because that's, that's the point of this. You know, the reason we, yeah. We've done holidays and package holidays and that sort of thing before. But the idea of someone saying to me, no, this is, this is where you're staying for the next two weeks. That's the restaurant you're going to eat out of. And that's the place you can go and visit. Just it gets me itching. So yeah. the idea of being able to say, no, I'm probably going to go here today. And actually, it's going to be nice down there tomorrow. So let's drive for a couple of hours and go there. That just sounds fantastic. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of that. I know. I'm really jealous. I'd love a camper van like that. <laughs> <laughs> have a snip now. It's not being used for much. I'm probably too jealous right now because you can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you will be able to in time. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned about your various different moves in, in your career from chef to officer training to ending up in data. But thinking about it now if you hadn't have gone into tech what would you really love to do now anna will be probably strongly disagreeing with this but there's a couple of things i would love to do Hmm. and it does it does sort of combine with data um a little bit more maths so i i think agriculture right now is significantly underserved by proper analysis i know they do there, there is a huge amount at the real huge sort of farming level but yeah. arable and sort of pastoral but uh, i i i really would like to test the idea about whether i can run a farm um, oh, wow think, that's so cool anna's probably watching this right now thinking just shut up you idiot not yeah. sure i can see that in no, I, don't, I don't like the garden <laughs> 
Um, but it's, it's like education. I don't like the garden outside because it's sort of pointless flowers. Why would I build a thing that required me to sort of nurture it without any feedback for months on end? Mm. There's a garden out there that's filled with stuff that I have to keep care of because that's my, and I can make it better and generate more value from it. That, that sounds really quite interesting. And it's different from this sedentary lifestyle that I have right now, which is basically tapping on these keys to try and generate different bits of code. That was a great answer. That surprised me, actually. I didn't think you'd be a farmer. I had to go up to the <laughs> at that point as well. Um, <clears throat> so we were talking earlier about, I think I think this was a discussion before we started um, recording, actually, um, about how you're, you're waking up at something like ridiculously, like four o'clock in the morning, starting your day, um, working till what, nine-ish, and then doing some homeschooling, um, I think you said last night you probably didn't stop, finish working till about nine ten o'clock. It's obviously pretty tough for you right now, and I know even before um, lockdown, and um, probably for the last six nine months, I've been pestering you to catch up, and you've just been absolutely sorry, I can't in and busy, <laughs> like um, which is great, which is brilliant for the business, um, but what? what do you how do you find the time and what do you do to keep yourself sane and healthy and like how do you manage all the stress that comes with doing what you do um i think that the, the, the stress side of things is, is very different um to what it was previously the, the previous stress the, the predominant stress nowadays is, is trying to make sure that everything's okay and that people are okay because I know how stressful it is for us. And lots of stress is driven by greater or lacker, greater or lesser autonomy. You know, if you are fully in control of a thing, you can be less stressed by it. Whereas lots of the team I'm aware aren't as in control of this whole situation as we can be. So you've got to be aware that they're probably feeling more stressed about it than, than I am to a certain extent. You know, I, I can see the bank statements. I can see we've got plenty of cash and with the future class flows we've got plenty of cash coming through so i can be you know fairly relaxed at times about that not that i don't sit and panic and think you know chicken little the world the sky is falling at times but for me i think the only way to to really handle that is to get away and again and this is where you've got to be really aware of the others around you um i'm really lucky i live uh, in a place where i can within 10 minutes i um in the middle of fields and 15 minutes on from that i'm you know up on a hill somewhere so i i go out and go walking quite a lot mm. um, and that's really you know the, the first five weeks i didn't do that and it was really really difficult and basically anna big boots sussing through there um kicked me out of the house and said go for a walk you idiots and i did and i came back and i felt like a different person um but the real, <laughs> I've, I've never been really good at exercising for exercising sake again got to be a reason for doing it I, I do sound like a psychopath sometimes don't i um only running away from things not just running or <laughs> <laughs> towards that's an interesting <laughs> yeah. um I, um but yeah so uh, getting out walking uh, to a certain extent the kids are a welcome release at times because having to focus on um what a prepositional phrase is and then sit there and convince them it's important to learn it. it means you're not thinking about code or about people at times and that's that's actually a bit of a break at times i'm sure you get asked this all the time and i'm sure i asked this to anna when i interviewed anna but how the hell do you two work together 
I just cannot imagine working. Yeah, I couldn't. So, back in the olden days, we'd say effective communication. So mm. it, it improves all parts of your life. If you can communicate in a balanced way with each other without generating emotion, then you know that that helps. Um, nowadays, it's making sure we've got good fences. Um, <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, most of the time, Anna and I, I only work together when we have our monthly board meetings or we have bits okay. where our teams overlap. Um, we've spent a bit of time recently sort of really reevaluating our roles and how we you know, work together. Um, so I look after the consultancy as in going out and doing um, mm -hmm. advisory work and the product development. And Anna's very much looking after the operations and the learning development plans and that side of things. So there's a, there's a natural split there. And you know, it's like right now, I think the vast majority of people are on Zoom calls or Teams calls for you know, eight, nine hours a day. So all we do is see each other's backs. Um, and then on an evening, we'll have a dinner and glass of wine and say, how was your day? <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's <laughs> tough. You know, I, I won't, you know, I don't think anyone that works with their other half ever say, yeah, it's easy. It's, it's yeah. been the best thing we've ever done together. Um, but I think it's manageable. But I think you have to accept that if you're planning on doing it, you are sacrificing a proportion of your relationship because yeah. you don't have those other things to talk about. You just have the thing that you're both focusing on to get done. Um, Although when I see things on LinkedIn about like Anna winning another great award or you winning an award, which you guys do all the time, you're covered. Anna wins the awards. I just <laughs> You must like go out and have the best time there going celebrating together and winning these amazing awards. I think, oh God, I bet they had a great night at that award ceremony. <laughs> I think we've only been to one together once. Oh, really? <laughs> you've got the kids as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. We've, got kids, we've, got, we've got three kids. Well, we've got 46 kids, really. I suppose we've got the, the 40 plus shedders and got our two own children. So we've got our responsibilities <laughs> to them, make sure that, you know, if, so imagine, you know, if, if, I went out and got drunk one night with my mates and the next morning, it's a Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, I'm pretty ineffective. If both of them or I do that, then the, 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 the two leaders of the business aren't there. So it's very difficult to actually be able to do that sort of thing together. Yeah. yeah. When we did, I think it was a Friday night went on, it was, that was a good fun night. Good fun morning. Yeah, because I think one of the first times, the first time I met you in person was when you came to our summer barbecue a few years ago, wasn't it? The yeah. first, one of the first yeah. ones. I had a drunk one in the corner. Yeah, I think I was there with you there. <laughs> <laughs> Barbecues, they were nice with other people, weren't they? I remember those days. Oh, this no, we've had to cancel it. For, it well, it, we're in June, aren't we? It would have been at the end of this month. Yeah. Oh, oh well, I think that's that's your, third, third year winning. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So, um, good, good um, question to end on. Um, I think would be great for um, everyone to kind of get an idea of what your what have you got? What's exciting for you? Like what's on the horizon? And what big plans do you have coming up that you could potentially share with us all? Uh, what can I share? I suppose that's interesting. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the data shed is the first business that Anna and I have created. Um, and over, you know, I'm still a mere youth at the age of what am I now, 36, something like that. So I've I've got I've got another one or two of these in me, I think. Um, and I've got some some plans for what they might look like. Um, I think the, the 
I think this is the, one of the lessons that I learned previously with my eye for detail. You've got to really focus on the things that's in front of you that you need to make sure that works well. Because um, right now we've got a business that you know generates a decent amount of revenue and a decent amount of profit, and really it could sort of operate without us a little bit. But I think to do it justice and to make sure that we do it the best we possibly can do for the shedders that work for us now we have to make sure we focus on getting this thing done well mm. um and the thing about doing it well is it, it you can't set a time scale on that because with, with otherwise you're, you're constraining other aspects so for now our plans are absolutely building the best data business we can um the the world is waking up to the fact that data unfortunately describes everything everywhere it's just how good that data is that allows you to make the right decisions and that's what we're hoping people will start to realize fairly soon um you know i would i would in terms of personal plans i would like to be working a bit more flexibly over the next couple of years yeah um but i think realistically we are we're a consultancy at the end of the day you know we are beholden to the wishes of our of our clients and um you know we will see where they go as well we've got some very open-minded and sort of forward-thinking clients so I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll think a similar way to us um in other areas of things i want to do oh, i just want to be in my bloody van in europe mm. or anywhere to fair a driveway <laughs> yeah get it off the drive exactly maybe in another month or a couple of months yeah. or so then you might be able to i hope so anyway because i'm meant to be getting married in september in croatia oh right <laughs> okay. okay so we're right. like right on the cusp at the moment of whether it will or will not happen which is giving me a few more gray hairs isn't it sandra <laughs> <laughs> this morning i heard this morning on the news though on the way in that they are they are starting to talk about allowing us to travel but obviously there's that um two-week quarantine place isn't there so we'll see mm. it's, it's a difficult one to because you've got the trade-off between i'd love to be somewhere else doing something which is which frankly yeah, a real luxury i've got a nice van i could be anywhere but it's just a you know white middle-class male i've got a bit of cash i can do this thing an absolute luxury whereas the trade-off is just make sure you're not carrying this any sort of extension of this global pandemic any further than that. Um, yeah, that's very yeah. true. Yeah, you got you can't be selfish in the current situation, can you? It's just a real tough one for everyone, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. No, it's it's about and that, that's that's the, the thing we're doing at the moment is is, you know yes, we could think about opening bits of the office, but then you've got the complexity of saying, well, if parents have got uh, parents of shedders have got their kids going to school, they're coming back, should they then go into the office with the let's just keep the risk as low as we can you know let's make sure yeah it's possible. very true isn't it yeah, yeah exactly well, it sounds like you're doing your bit anyway and it sounds like things are going amazingly well since i last caught up to you so um yeah definitely some really exciting plans on the horizon as well i think like you said there's lots of um great things happening in your way and you work you and anna and the team will work super hard so it's great to hear that you've got such um, fantastic successes and um, so it's been brilliant having the time to um, have a chat with you this morning so thanks so much to ed um and if anyone wants to get in touch is it best on linkedin twitter linkedin yeah. linkedin yeah anna's quite big on twitter though isn't she i follow anna she is a big twitter yes <laughs> I'll make sure I cut that out bit out so all right lovely well thanks for having you on nice to see you Ed thank you very much take care yeah, see you all soon see ya.